Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast that explores the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. I'm Gavin Rizzo. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. It's part two of the 1970 Justice League Justice Society crossover. Yay! So far it's not really been a team up as such. We'll see if that changes. We're going to get straight on with things this week because it's a bit of an epic pizza. Tell us about the cover to issue 83. Again, we have the Justice League of America shield at the top. A dark black cover border surrounds a small image. Down one side, we have the roll call for the Justice League of America. And it is Superman, Batman, Flash, Black Canary, Green Lantern, Atom, Green Arrow. And down the right hand side, we have the roll call for the Justice Society, which is Spectre, Dr. Fate. Wonder Woman, Our Man, Johnny Thunder, Thunderbolt, Starman. And in between those two columns of heroes' heads, we have a scene outside a crypt. On one side we have Superman looking startled, on the other side we have Batman of Earth One looking startled, and Doctor Fate appears to be doing some sort of candlelit ritual. It's amazing. This is one of my favourite comic covers of all time. Full back tattoo of this one at some point. You hey. know, it's brilliant. And he's calling forth the spectre from this tomb. And as he does so, he says, I summon a dead man to save the life of Earth. It's spectacular. I love how the spectre looks like he's being pulled out against his will, almost. Mm-hmm. As you see, it's... It's very atmospheric, like the shadow casting this perfect circle, the, the looming gravestones, the moody sky in the background. It's gorgeous. Wispy mist. Yes. Mm. There's no full moon, sadly, but there probably isn't room. <laughs> One good thing about this cover is because they're using this box out thing at the moment, mm-hmm. there is room for the full illustration. Like If that had been a full bleed, the logo would have had to been over Batman yeah. or over the spirit. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked it. So mm-hmm. it is very clear. And do you know what? I like the accidental use of our man's colour scheme. Yes, it works, it really pops, Uh, it's fantastic. Black, yellow and red, it's tremendous. This is beautiful, this cover. I cannot wait to share the the foreign market editions with you on the socials. We'll tell you about the socials later in the episode, obviously. So, without any further ado, issue 83 of Just League of America, published on the 28th of July, 1970. We open page one. A caption says... All things that exist are related, though they be flung farther than the mind can imagine. And what touches one, touches all. You doubt? Then listen. Listen to the words of Creator 2, Master World Builder from a distant galaxy. When Earth 1 and Earth 2 come together, their destruction will release the energy I need to make up. Perfectly splendid new planet. You see Crater 2 addressing one of his blue antenna lackeys. He's probably called Marathon or Snickers or Twix or something. I don't know. Anyway, the caption continues for panel 2. And to the words of the lovely Black Canary. We see Canary, very moody lighting. She's left from underneath casting long, deep shadows. She's contemplating the, the cosmic catastrophe that's taking place and she thinks, I must be the link. The reason our separate Earths are about to collide. It's obvious that I... Must die. Now look upon one who does not speak. The android Red Tornado is sleeping the gap between the dimensions, placed there by aliens who caused the fame and justice society to ask, Where, Where valor, valor fails, fails, will magic triumph. 
Great panel showing Red Tornado in the heart of the cosmic, what you call it, radiating yellow and green energy. It's a lovely pink comet seems to fly past. Very, very effective and a nice, succinct recap of some things that are going on, but very helpfully, of course, some of the GSA will remind us of what's been going on in part one. We hope you listened last week. Gav certainly did, didn't you, Gav? Absolutely. Were you happy mm-hmm. with how it turned out? I thought it was great. Excellent. First <laughs> caption then in the first panel of page two. A spaceship orbiting Earth 2. Yes, we're inside Creator 2's conveyance. One of his lackeys is saying, The Matrix correctors are properly placed on the planet's surface. Oh, grand shaper of habitats! Excellent. Our task nears completion. However, there is one difficulty. The terrestrials called the Justice Society have been most annoying. Thrice they have interfered with my work. And the operation now becomes delicate. I can brook no further meddling. Ergo, I have decided to attack the Justice Society in its secret sanctuary. I launch the remaining snare nets, each programmed to cancel the powers of these extraordinary earthlings. And as the antenna lackey looks on, we see the screen in front of him as Crater 2 flicks a switch and we see some snare nets. You remember them, sort of golden with little weird fungi tentacles coming off them, hurtling through space towards the Earth's surface. And at that precise moment... Presumably, we're in Justice Society headquarters. We can see Superman of Earth 2, Doctor Midnight and the Flash of Earth 2 all stretched out on a tabletop, being examined by, and I'll go clockwise from the bottom left-hand corner, Green Lantern of Earth 2, whose chest symbol is basically the same as the Green Lantern of Earth 1's at this point. I'm miming the chest symbol for Gal's benefit. <laughs> is it working? It's very well, Thank yes. you. Yep, rather than the, the ornately fashioned lantern which we had in the past, they've gone for the much easier to draw and much longer for me to describe symbol which represents what Hal Jordan has. Standing next to him is Wonder Woman, looking very concerned. Wonder Woman in her traditional stylings, whereas her Earth 1 counterpart at this point was dressed very much in contemporary clothing. Doctor Fate is there, Our Man is there, Star Man is there, and Johnny Thunder. Dr. Fate is proclaiming. Policemen found Superman, Dr. Midnight and Flash all seemingly dead. Yet my occult probes detect the faintest spark of life still within them. It is obvious we are faced with dire peril. We cannot rest until we have discovered it, sought it out and destroyed it. Johnny Thunder says in the first panel of page three. I don't know, Dark Fate. Anything that can KO old soups ain't gonna have any trouble with the rest of us. Such defeatist talk is unworthy of you, Johnny Thunder. This exchange is interrupted by Starman, who says, Hey, do you hear that? Sounds like a wrecking crew. The wrecking crew, obviously, as we all know, was the name of that very talented group of session musicians who operated in America in the 1960s, playing on tracks by the people such as the Birds and the Beach Boys. Amongst a number, of course, was the legendary Glenn Campbell. But this is not the Glenn Campbell podcast. The caption for panel two says, Before Starman can complete his utterance... Creator 2 snare nets smash through brick, steel, stone, plaster, and... With a giant crunch sound effect, they basically burst through the roof of the headquarters, rubble falling down towards everyone, and the, I nearly said hair nets for some reason, and the energy nets fly down towards the Justice Society members. Johnny points to the sky and says, Look like the troubles come to us! Dr. Fate says, We are challenged, let us respond! Starman says, Okay, Doc, I'll do that. And give that thing a double dose of my Star Rod's Pulsar Rays. Star Rod's Pulsar Rays, not like Iron Man's Repulsor Rays at all. No. There's a zap as Ted, well, zaps the, the hairnet that's flying towards him with his cosmic rod. However... Huh? 
It's tossing him right back in my face. Oh. Yes, the energy net seems to, pardon my repetition, repulse the blast back at Starman. Significantly, we see him drop his cosmic rod. Oh, no. And then in the final panel, page three, the net starts to wind itself around Starman. Johnny Thunder looks on and confirms, Like I figured, we're fighting something really big time. Starman's been wrapped up like a mackerel. Which I don't want happening to me. I'd better summon my magic thunderbolt to the quickest. And he says out loud, Say you! Hooray! And a caption rounds out page three saying, Johnny Thunder's pronunciation of the Badnesian hex words, say you, that give him complete control over the genie-like thunderbolts. And in the first panel of page four, the thunderbolt arrives with a pop! And he says, Here I am! So what's doing? You want something? Johnny says, Of course, we're being attacked! In the background we can see our man and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern reacting to the energy nets flying around them. Thunderbolt takes all this in and says, Ha, ha, hum, at least Wonder Woman's having a hard time. And in the foreground of the panel two, the Amazonian princess is tangling with one of the energy nets. Oh my goodness, she says, My bracelets, I can't keep them apart. And we all know what happens when she gets... So does this mean that the energy nets are male if she's being bound by the energy net? That's interesting, isn't it? Sure. Okay, <laughs> the next panel, one of the energy nets is, Oh, it's the little fungoid antenna guys. They're flying towards her. They look horrible. And Wonder Woman, with her bracelets... Stuck together, thinks, I'm handcuffed and helpless. That's really getting her back to her roots. In the next panel, in the foreground, our man is popping one of his miracle pills and very helpfully the Thunderbolt tells us, But our man's taking a hand. He's swallowing his miracle pill. That'll keep him super energized for a full 60 minutes. And here we go. Our man leaps into action, thinking, The pill doesn't give me the ability to fly like Superman, but I can leap like a dervish. Shouldn't be too difficult to stay out of the thing's way till I dope out a counterattack. He leaps over the energy net in the first panel of page five, thinking, ha, it missed again. I can't imagine how gizmos like this beat Superman, Doctor Midnight, and Flash. As menaces, they're strictly amateur class. Now, the next panel is interesting. There's a clock on the wall behind our man, and he seems to be starting to vibrate, and it almost looks as though the tendril of the energy net is watching him. Our man thinks, now what? I feel funny, like everything's being speeded up. In the next panel, he's positively vibrating as he thinks, my heart! Beating like a trip hammer, my blood racing. And he's almost a blur in panel four as he thinks, I understand. Somehow, the time I exist in, relative to the rest of the universe, has accelerated. My hour will pass in a space of a normal second. And he's down. Our man is down for the count in the next panel. Final panel of page five, Johnny and the Thunderbolt observe him being completely wrapped up in the net. Johnny says, Our man's dumped you. Dumb magic thunderbolt, do something! Like what, Dunderhead? Just tell me, you're supposed to be the boss! And at that point, maddeningly, we cut to the Earth-1 universe and back to the Justice League satellite. First panel of page 6 is captioned, While the battle rages on Earth-2, a quieter scene is occurring at the Justice League satellite, 22,300 miles above Earth-1. Quieter, but no less intense. This is hilarious. Unintentionally hilarious. Left of the panel, Black Canary is leaning in on like you know a table or tabletop or surface, looking very, very sad. Green Arrow and the Atom and Green Lantern are all behind her, and it kind of looks as though Green Arrow is sat down wearing fishnet stockings. It's obviously meant to be Black Canary's legs, and she's leaning over to her right, but it's very <laughs> unfortunate. I think we'll put that one on the socials. Would you think, Peter? Most definitely. Yes, it might even so, be our um, new Facebook cover picture. <laughs> Not that we have, you know, anything wrong to say about whether or not what Green Arrow wants to wear on his legs. You know, it's an interesting new look in men's fashion. As she laments, Black Canary is saying, Can't you understand? When I cross the dimension barrier, I must have upset the cosmic balances or something. I'm responsible for the chaos. Me. 
Arrow's not having it. Can that talk, bird lady? I'm never going to believe. The Atom interrupts. Cool it, GA, because on the basis of the evidence we have, I think she's right. Listen, Tiny, if you imagine for one lousy second I'll let anyone harm her, you're playing out of your microcephalic skull. Maybe we don't have to hurt Black Canary. Green Lantern joins the conversation and continues. Look, we know there are an infinite number of existences, countless worlds like our own existing simultaneously. I may be wrong, but it seems that we could put the lady in another dimension, one where her vibrations would be harmonious and harmless. I like how they're including Black Canary in the discussion. My sister's going to have a fit when she listens to this. <laughs> There's a nice long shot of them all in the, the control room of the satellite here. The atom, person, Green Arrow's shoulder pipes up with, Right on, Lantern. Yeah. How are we going to find those other dimensions? By looking. I can use my power ring. At full strength, I can search, scour the space-time matrices. And Green Lantern doesn't hang about. First panel of page seven. It's an exterior shot of the satellite. We can see Green Arrow and Black Canary peeping out of a porthole as Hal flies out into space, saying, Keep the faith, people. I'll be back as soon as I have a report. And he flies off into the void, thinking, It'll tear Green Arrow apart if I send the Canary away. They've been through a lot together these last months. But it's got to be done. The combined populations of the Twin Earths will die. Horribly. Now he seems to notice something in the next panel. Hey, that looks like a hole of some sort. A rend in the fabric of the cosmos. Might be just what the Doctor ordered. If I can ease through. And we see him flying towards a slightly bent yellow and green sort of stretch of light. It's very interesting. He discovers in the next panel. Great Guardians! The Red Tornado! The Justice Society's pet android. I can't be sure, but I'd bet my ring against a tin whistle that he's positioned precisely between Earths 1 and 2. And we also see in this panel, there's a blue shifting void in front of Green Lantern, but beyond that, held in the green and yellow void, it's Red Tornado. A very moody close-up of how Jordan as Green Lantern rounds out page 7 as he thinks. And that means, Reddy's the link, not Black Canary! I've got to reach him, knock him loose. And in the first panel of page eight, Green Lantern tries to fly towards Reddy. He seems to be blocked, cut off somehow. And he thinks, Blast! The patterns of the cosmos have shifted. I'm cut off. I've got to find another gap. Got to! Yeah, so somehow he's not been able to reach Red Tornado. Panel two of page eight is captioned. While Green Lantern penetrates into the bizarre realities of space-time relativity, the bewildered residents of a large eastern Earth-1 city are engaged in more normal pursuits, like trying to learn what the devil is going on. We see the Earth-1 people that Pete just mentioned standing in the street looking obviously in the window of a television shop, and a bespectacled newscaster is saying, Scientists admit to being baffled by the strange events of the past few days. There are explosions in Nova Scotia, an unusual volcanic eruption in the Pacific. Most inexplicable is the periodic appearance of ghosts. And in this panel, we see why Hawkman wasn't part of the conversation on the satellite, because he's come down to Earth to see what's going on. We see him standing at the back of the crowd, listening to the news broadcast, and he thinks, I figured I could do more good down here than in the satellite. Normally, I'd attract a lot of attention if I showed myself in public, but everyone's so dismayed. They don't even see me. I've got to admit that I'm pretty dismayed myself. I can't imagine the cause of these mini-catastrophes. Great panel here. He's having a little think to himself. He's stroking his chin and very visibly going, hmm. In the foreground of the little panel, there's a freckled stripy t-shirt, blue jacket wearing red-haired kid who has spotted something unearthly. He cries, look! And as we arrive on page nine, a caption says, Again it happens. The dimensions brush, momentarily lock, and for a mind-chilling instant, the people of Earth 2 waver into sight. 
And similar to what we had last week, you see a guy in a blue suit meeting himself, wearing identical blue suits, kind of briefcase. There's another bolder, older gentleman in Broughton spotting his other self. There's a lady in green who looks behind her and sees another version. There's another lady in pink who sees herself again. And two little boys, both wearing yellow, who again spot themselves. The captioning for page nine continues. They are more solid than in previous appearances, more real, and, for that reason, all the more terrifying. They awaken a million ageless, nameless dreads buried deep in the human soul. Panic ravages the crowd like some maniacal beast. And it is to be said, there is expressions of fear and such like on the faces of the people that we can see. This must be terrifying. Mm. Anyway, that page, first panel of page 10 is captioned. Blindly, heedlessly, the citizens flee. Yes, one we see one elderly lady in a wheelchair. It's obviously been far too much for her to be confronted by herself. She's wheeling herself away, but she seems to be going straight into oncoming traffic. Hawkman is taken to the air and he sees this and thinks, That old woman, she'll be smashed unless I can reach her. Yank her clear. Very dynamic panel of the winged wonder flying overhead as the woman crosses the road with a large car racing towards her. He doesn't seem to have heard of brakes, whoever's driving his vehicle. In the nick of time, Hawkman grabs the lady from a chair as the car strikes it and bears her aloft. Made it, with not a second to spare. And he continues saying out loud to the old lady, Easy, ma'am. You're okay. And then he thinks, She's okay, but I wonder how many incidents like that are happening in places where there aren't any flying Thanagarians to help. It's easier thought than said, isn't it? <laughs> in the next panel, however, suddenly Hawkman is afflicted. He throws his head back, his hands come up to his neck and he says, eh, I'm, I'm choking, just like Batman, passing out for no reason. And then the caption for the final panel of page 10 says, No reason, Hawkman? No, for your Earth 2 counterpart has just fallen prey to Creator 2's diabolical weapon. Yes, I like this one. It's not quite as stylized as the previous issue's depictions of the parallel heroes being affected. There's just a little jaggedy blue line, but we see that our Hawkman of Earth 1 is down on the ground and that Carter Hall, Hawkman of Earth 2, has been surrounded by one of the energy nets. The tendrils are floating around. Helpfully, they've left his, his head and shoulders free, so that's quite good. Not going to suffocate. The caption for the first panel of page 11. Nor is Hawkman alone among the defeated. For a mere 15 minutes, the Justice Society has struggled, yet, in that quarter-hour span, the nets have bested all but three of the members. Yes, we see that the only Justice Society members left standing are Dr. Fate, who's actually floating in Madeira at this point, Green Lantern, and Johnny Thunder, who still is a Thunderbolt, so is that technically fourth, given the fact that Thunderbolt and Johnny were separate in the, yeah. in the on-cover roll call? Hmm. Anyway, what's interesting here, we'll make note of this, because we always have, is Dr. Fate is still using his jagged lightning bolt to focus his magic. No sign of the Egyptian stuff yet. He's using his magic. Striking a couple of bolts at one of the energy nets. Green Lantern is struggling himself, and he's thinking, Dark Fate and the Thunderbolts seem to be holding their own, but no more. They're neither winning nor losing. And I've stayed loose by ducking and dodging. I can't seem to press an attack. Maybe I need some elbow room. And he turns and with a bloomp, he blasts the wall of wherever their headquarters is at this point in time. And he <laughs> continues to think, So I'll take this fracas outside. Through the hole in the wall, two of the energy nets follow. And Alan thinks, Here come the whatever they are. They're right behind me. These things must have studied military tactics. They're trying to flank me, which works great against a gun or anything that shoots in only one direction at a time. 
but my power ring can hit a thousand directions if need be. Yep, and we see multiple blasts of green energy emanating from the power ring and flying out and striking the energy nets that are trying to attack the Emerald Gladiator. Alan thinks in the first panel of page 12. The beams aren't affecting them. Or are they? The things are changing. Yes, they seem to be losing the shape of nets and it looks like they're turning into tree trunks, to be honest. They're going sort of brown and thicker. Alan thinks in the next panel. Changing their very substance. Yeah, they're definitely thickening. No sign of nets at all. In fact, they almost seem to be forming the shape of cages. Alan thinks over the next two panels. Changing to wood. The one material my ring can't combat. A wooden cage. It's got me. Like an animal in a zoo. And we see that the two nets basically formed into two halves of a cage have approached him from either side and fenced him in. He's completely trapped in the next panel as he thinks, I'm cut! Helpless! And the caption says, Similarly, between Earths... And we're back with our Hal Jordan, who's suddenly surrounded by a little blue electrical aura. He looks very panicked as he thinks, I'm cut! Helpless! And a tiny caption tells us that we are continued in the second page following. This is very exciting, listeners. I don't know about you. We're still with Hal as we hit the top of page 13 as he tries to struggle free and thinks, I can't move and I don't know why. It's like I'm inside an invisible cage. Just when I'm inside of my objective. I don't dare use my ring long distance without a clear idea of the nature of the enemy. He gets a nice dramatic close-up in the next panel. Here in the insertices between alternate realities, I can't trust my senses or even my ring. So, I failed. Miserably. Some terrible foe is toying with humanity and the toy is about to break forever. The next caption says... And in the JLA satellite... Very moody shot of Green Arrow, the Atom and Black Canary. Black Canary's hair looks immaculate. She's obviously just been to the salon. Green Arrow is very moody in silhouette. The Atom's in silhouette. Obviously, we don't really want to see what Ollie's thinking at this point. But he's saying... The lantern's been gone over an hour. He should have been back by now. If he's coming back at all. The Atom says... Yeah, I guess we gotta assume he's lost. According to our computer, the alternate worlds will collide in about 30 minutes. He's sat down with his head in his hands, the next panel looking very sad as he says, we've got just that long to come up with an answer. And frankly, I'm stumped. And off camera, Canary says, you know the solution, both of you. I must leave. I must cease to be. Green Arrow says in the next panel, if you're saying what I think you're saying, don't. I appreciate your concern, but my life doesn't count. It won't hurt. I'll get into the transporter, only instead of setting the controls for Earth, I'll Set them for nowhere. I'll simply cease. And we're outside the satellite here. We can see various bits of space junk flying. It's very, very quite pretty panel, actually. As Canary continues, My atoms, my spirit, will drift among the stars, eternally. In a way, it'll be beautiful. But a very angry Granado says, In a pig's ear, maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I like being alive, being flesh and blood, and so do you. And the Atom says, We don't have to make a final decision, yet. He points at a clock in the next panel. He's still perched on Green Arrow's shoulder. I like this. Give it another 20 minutes. If we don't come up with another idea, well, we'll decide then. The first caption then, for the first panel of page 15. Even as the Atom puts a time limit on the Black Canary's life, the remaining Justice Society members continue their valiant struggle. We see Johnny in pain. Obviously, he's been struck by the energy net. It's not been a good time. Thunderbolt is pained. Dr. Fate is gesturing. Johnny says, Can't you do any more and keep him away, dumb Thunderbolt? Listen, champ, you want to fight? Go ahead! Arguing amongst ourselves will avail us nothing. We have need of help. 
and there is but one source for it. Prepare yourselves. Though my outage powers are weakened, still I may be able to teleport us. Johnny and the Thunderbolt look very trepidatious. I feel a bit trepidatious myself. The caption for the next panel then. A surge of occult energy and the trio hurls halfway across the continent. Yes, this is a great panel of Thunderbolt and Johnny and Dr. Fate basically being borne by a large flash of yellow energy through some nice, pretty, twisting colours. If there's room, I might post that one on the socials or I might stick it in a tweet or something. You never know. Caption for the next panel. To materialise in a graveyard. A full moon looms in the background as the heroes stand and look around. And Johnny says, Hey, Doc, if this is your notion of a funny... I do not jest, Johnny. We have business here. Very interesting panel layout on this page, actually. We might just put this whole sequence of four on the socials because mm-hmm. it's very, very effective. Full moon hangs over a particular crypt that Dr. Fate is walking towards when he says, Hear me, O ghost who walks. I summon you. Hear the request of Dr. Fate. And from the crypt emerges and looms above them the haunting form of the spectre who wails, I hear and heed. How can the spectre serve? And a little footnote caption says, Note, the reason the spectre abides in this crypt may not be related now. Rest assured that the story is fearsome indeed. And we're going to come back to that in the discussions at the end of the episode because we have a lot to say. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, we passed two very, very interesting pages, which I'm definitely going to put at the socials at some point. They're basically a survey that DC Comics are carrying out. They want to know what their listeners' opinions are on how they spend their time on the types of things that their stories should feature. For example, national problems, hobbies, romance, space flights, black people, pollution. Obviously, they're wanting to find out what people are thinking of the new social realism they're bringing to their comics. Their terminology, not ours, incidentally. Yes. Very, very interesting as a social snapshot. I will post both of these pages Mm -hmm. on the socials at some point in the next week. Keep them peeled. A full moon looms in the background in the first panel of page 16 as the spectre now fully formed stands in front of the Thunderbolt, Johnny and Dr. Fate, and the spectre says, I have observed the peril which besets the mortal plane. Johnny says, Hooray for you! Why didn't you do something? I could not, until summoned. Such are the terms of my imprisonment in yon tomb. Have you a plan? Yes. You have been combating a science far beyond any dreamed of by humanity. And you've tasted defeat because you fought that science on its own terms. I see. Then you suggest we resort to the occult. Makes a kind of sense. We'd be hassling him on our own turf, so to speak. We must hurry. We have no more than seconds before creation as we know it is engulfed in a bottomless abyss. And then the final panel of page 16. Very, very detailed. I like this. There's a headstone in the foreground that says rest in peace and a very detailed tree branch. It's lovely. Almost a callback to the Spectre's ongoing series, this page. Mm, yeah. Very, very nice. Thunderbolt, Dr. Fate and the Spectre take to the sky, leaving Johnny standing underneath a full moon. As they fly off, Dr. Fate says, Where valour fails, may magic triumph. And as he waves them off, Johnny says, Luck, guys. <laughs> Doesn't wish them good luck or bad luck. That's nope, just luck. So, we arrive. First panel, page 17. Together, the mystic trio flashes upward. En route, the spectre explains Creator 2's scheme and... Cracking shot of spectre, Dr. Fate and Thunderbolt hurtling through space towards Creator 2's spaceship. Amazing. Spectre is saying, There is the foe's stronghold. This you must attack. Penetrate its defences. Check, Spec. And how are you going to keep busy? I journey to nether space, where I hope to erect a barrier between the enroaching Earths. To your task, and farewell. And it almost looks like he's swimming away from Dr. Fate and Thunderbolt, who are watching him go. Mm. 
Panel 3, well, very helpfully, the spectre thinks about who he has seen as he approaches what he calls the nether space. There is Green Lantern, victim of Crater 2, and beyond the piteous Red Tornado, a still greater victim. I cannot tarry to aid that courageous duo. My destiny lies further. And very helpfully, the ghostly guardian explains what he's up to in this final panel of page 17. For I must block the dimensions with the ectoplasm that is my body. I must use the stuff of my very being. And the spectre is stretching himself out between the two Earths which are shown to almost be colliding. And what's actually quite interesting is that you can see the respective moons of each Earth. So if you feel like it and if you're playing along this week, you can take two drinks. A caption helpfully here backs up what I've just said. The Astral Avenger grows, thins, stretches thousands of miles to become a narrow thread, white against the darkness of infinity. Gosh, I hope this ends well for the Spectre, but I fear the worst. We arrive on page 18, the caption for the first panel. And in the alien craft... Oh, we haven't seen him for ages. It's Creator 2, one of his lackeys. The lackey is saying, Oh, Death Sculptor of Universes, are we ready? Almost. Observe the matrix indicator. And this is interesting because Creator 2 is pointing to a reading on the wall which shows a green circle and a red circle. And he continues in the next panel explaining what they are. When the red meets the green, the astral planes will be in alignment. Then I need only press this button, and these Earths will vanish in a burst of energy. Oh my goodness. And at this point, the lackey behind him interrupts and says, Maker of places, observe! And Crater 2 turns to a screen and sees Dr. Fate and Thunderbolt. He says, Ah, the last of the Justice Society. They must have eluded the snare nets. But no matter, though I admire their courage, I will destroy them. Battle stations! Fire disruptor beams! In the final action-packed panel of page 18, I don't think Dr. Fate has looked better in any story we've done so yeah, far, quite yeah, frankly. It looks very dynamic. Dr. Fate and Thunderbolt being struck by the red disruptor beams that are being fired from the spaceship. Thunderbolt dodges one and says, We're being shot at, Doc! We gonna just float like ducks in a shooting gallery? No, once more I shall teleport us to inside the vessel. The effort will exhaust me. You, Thunderbolt, must then vanquish the enemy alone. And back inside Creator 2's spaceship, he looks delighted as they vanish from the screen in front of him. He says, We scored! The Earthlings are gone! And then, off panel, a familiar voice says, But I hope not forgotten, chummy! And Creator 2 whirls around to see that Dr. Fate and the Thunderbolt have arrived inside. Creator 2 bellows, Impossible! Had you discoporeated yourselves, my alarms would have alerted us! Thunderbolt says, Can it be that those alarms aren't geared for magic? In the next panel, Thunderbolt starts zipping around, punching out all of the alien lackeys as he says, Enough chit-chat! These creeps you got working for you seem like inferior specimens. Couple of low-grade spells ought to do for them. In the next panel, Creator 2 lunges forward because it seems though the red and green circles are kinning where he needs them to be. He says, I shall complete my creation. The button! However, Thunderbolt cuts him off at the pass. Burst of pink energy gets in the way as he says, No way, dude! I got a spell made to order! Hasn't gone too well, though. Thunderbolt says, Um, doesn't seem to operate. My magic isn't set up for this alien scene. So, 
Crater 2 is making another attempt to get to his screen as Dr. Fate recovers from his exertions, gets to his feet thinking, The Thunderbolt is, alas, a, a grade 3 sorcerer, through no fault of his unable to cope. I must summon my will, force myself to tremendous effort. Next panel's a cracker. You see Dr. Fate standing at the heart of a yellow and red vortex as he thinks, I must tap the well springs of creation itself, focus them through my person, and annihilate this ship, this unspeakable evil. And the caption for panel 2 of page 20 says, No man can describe the shock that follows. Yes, I'll do my best. Basically, we see a massive explosion tearing Crater 2's ship apart. It's almost like it's a succession of red energy beams or blasts firing out in all directions, just destroying it completely. Tremors reach into the farthest corner of Earth 1 and Earth 2. And we see people reacting to rocks flying around in what looks like mild volcanic activity. And the vast reaches of nether space where the device hidden in Red Tornado's skull is disabled. And it almost looks so ready as smiling here as he's been released. <laughs> he looks, certainly looks a bit more relaxed. There's no aura around him. He's probably back to normal. Thank goodness. He said his limits are taken out. Yeah. And the final panel, page 20, shows Dr. Fate and the Thunderbolt safely in space as they look at the wreckage of the spaceship and Dr. Fate thinks, At the last moment I was able to erect an ectoplasmic shield around the Thunderbolt and myself. We lived through the explosion. I doubt that any other did. Yes, Dr. Fate, you murderer. You naughty Dr. Fate. Well, page 21 now. But the deed is done. Slowly, magnificently, the dimensions pull apart. The separate planes of existence once again establish separate dominion. An order reigns in the universes. However, there is one who pays a terrible price for his heroism. Yes, caught between two worlds, even as they start to separate. It's a nice red jagged line representing the dimension of Void, and we can see again, <laughs> take a drink, the two moons of the respective Earth. We see the spectre. It's almost as though he's been attached to each earth. He's been stretched and pulled apart. Mm -hmm. He's thinking, The blast. Too much. My corporeal form cannot survive. And in the next panel, it's almost like his body is destroyed or just turned into a cloud. It's, like, it's almost like his head and his cloak have been separated and they're floating off into the void of space. This is terrible. He's even crying. The spectre thinks, At last, my soul is liberated to traverse the limitless void, to know the ultimate peace. The final contentment, and thus do I atone for the sins I have committed, and those I have not. So, capricious destiny denies Black Canary her end, giving it instead to that strangest of heroes, the Spectre. A moment's silence for the Spectre's sacrifice. First panel, page 22. Elsewhere, there is joy. Shot of the JLA satellite, and in the next panel, we're inside with Green Arrow, Black Canary, and the Atom. The Atom is delightedly looking at some readings on a computer in front of him. He cries, Look at that! We're pulling away! We made it! The crisis is past! The next panel, Green Arrow grabs Black Canary by the waist, lifts her up into the air, saying, Hoo-hee! Looks like you have to put up with our company a bit longer, bird lady! No wild black for you. I can't really say I'm sorry. Now put me down, you big lug. And then off panel, a voice says, Mind telling us what's happened? And Batman and Superman arrive on the scene. I gather we've missed a momentous event. Green Arrow turns to see Superman and Batman arriving and says, Well, the sleeping beauties are with us. 
And the Atom continues. Momentous doesn't say it, Batman. Matter of fact, I don't know what happened exactly. And I have to guess that our pals at Justice Society pulled a real wingding of a rabbit out of the hat. And another voice from off camera says, Correct, little buddy. Green Lantern Hal Jordan rejoins everyone in the final panel of page 22 as he continues, The Red Tornado gave me the story when I was turned loose. He got it from Doc Fate via telepathy. Well, that's a bit crap, isn't it, listeners? <laughs> we arrive at the final page, page 23. Caption for the first panel says, The tale is told to a breathless audience, and then... We see the Flash, Superman, Black Canary, Hawkman, Green Arrow, and Batman as Green Lantern concludes... So it's a happy ending all round, Canary says. No, not happy for the Spectre. And then, very dynamic shot of Green Arrow and the Atom to conclude proceedings as Green Arrow says, I can't help feeling that somewhere, somehow, the ghostly guardian lives. He's too strong, too noble to die. We'll hear from him again. Count on it. And the Atom responds, I hope you're right. And a tiny final caption says, The End. Well, that was exciting, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. The Spectre is dead. Again. <laughs> That's the first thing we should talk about. Let's talk about the Spectre, who has gone from stood with the rest of everyone <laughs> in the last issue and having a line of dialogue at the big meeting scene to suddenly being locked in a crypt. Almost seems like he's in a whole series reboot off camera, <laughs> doesn't it? You know, the, the Doctor Fate maybe teamed up with him during because you know, he the, knew um, about what happened. Well, it's you know, no sight as you said last time. There was no mention of the Book of Judgment. No, but he seems to be trapped in this crypt and can only emerge. Blah blah blah. So there's certainly been some off camera developments, but yeah. all of that must have happened between issues eighty-two and eighty-three <laughs> because he was stood at the group meeting, exactly. not feeling any any the worse for wear. Unless one of the provisos for him actually getting out of the crypt is allowed to attend GAC meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Could be in the small print from, from his boss upstairs. Yeah. Now, that sequence of the spectre being sort of drawn out or summoned was brilliant, very, very uh-huh. effective. And I liked mm-hmm. how him and Thunderbolt and Dr. Fate all flew into action. It's the debut of Justice Society Dark. But <laughs> it's going to be a little while before we see the spectre again. But let's yeah. let's remember this. Let's mm-hmm. keep that last page with him in mind and think about think yeah. about that the next time we see him and uh-huh. what could possibly be happening mm-hmm. it definitely does seem like that was a sacrifice of the of the ghostly guardian and yeah. in a way it kind of echoed you know when they thought red tornado had blown himself up mm-hmm. earlier on and when in his first appearance you know yeah. to try and get in the road of it all interesting now the thing we should also mention in relation to that was did either of you read the jla year one series when it was published I'm afraid not yes yes but a long time ago yeah Check it out, listeners. It's by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson. It's tremendous. Probably made redundant and irrelevant by every other crisis in New 52 and every other rebirth mm-hmm. or reboot that's yeah, been it since. Has. But it's basically the post-crisis early days of the of the JLA. And that is a scene towards the end when Wotan, who we've talked about in the past, and mm-hmm. Spectre are battling back-to-back against the alien invaders. And Wotan tries to trick the Spectre, but it ends up being that the Spectre fires it all back on Wotan, and Wotan ends up trapped inside a crypt. And he has a line that says something like, Ah, Spectre, one day our places will be reversed! Or something like that. Ah, so that's obviously okay. percolated in Mark Wade's head for 20-odd yes. years. And when he wrote his DC comic, he tidied up and explained <laughs> what had gone on. So that's not one that we have to worry about ourselves. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, of course, when we write our DC comic, we'll, mm. we'll write a longer version of, of that all. Uh, I love the fact that you know Mark Wade sat on it sat on it and sat on it and then went, I know, only Dave Steele's going to care about this, but I'm just going <laughs> to fix this bit of story now. So that was good. I have a theory about what might have happened to the Spectre. Right. I think that perhaps 
Jim Corrigan himself was killed because we hadn't actually seen Corrigan and the Spectre after they, they split from the last time and that's weakened the Spectre enough that he basically has to go into this crypt and can only be summoned out in times of dire emergency. Could it have been Jim Corrigan's crypt? That's what I mean, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So okay. I think that's quite possibly what's happened. But obviously we don't see that. If we'd seen that in the gravestone, I thought that, that'd be excellent. Yeah, yeah, if it said Corrigan. That tidied that up nicely. If it said Corrigan, yeah. that would have been fine and uh-huh. Mark Wade wouldn't have had to have done anything. It's the fact that also that big caption alludes to this terrible story, which you never, ever, ever see. Well, we do. We have just, I've just said Mark Wade explained it in January. Yeah, no, but, but, just be, yeah. but that's a retcon, obviously. Ah, yes, but, so. I mean, it's, it's interesting that they're referring to all this. Yeah. You know, it's like the giant rap Sumatra and the Sherlock Holmes stories. Indeed, you know, yes. Mankind is not yet ready to, to know such things. But what happened to the Journal of Judgments? We don't, well, well, when we write our DC comic, we'll explain. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, that's what it said, though. Since the last time we saw him, quite a lot has changed for the Spectre, obviously. Maybe someone else has now has the Journal of Judgments. I don't know. Uh, will will oh, we ever see the Journal of Judgment again? Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> I don't know, if someone else wants to be a horror host for a while, you know, yeah, it's, it's quite suppose. a handy thing. Phantom yeah. Stranger could pick up a book from time to time. It's fine. So for me, the thing that's interesting that we don't find out is who is a Creator 2 working for? Who is his yes. client? Uh huh. Who wants this custom planet built? Exactly. Yeah. I found that fast. That whole concept was fascinating. It reminded me a lot of. Uh, do you remember Justice League International? There was a character called Mister Nebula, cosmic designer, that basically was like a a camp version of Galactus. All right. But, yeah. but instead of eating planets, he would just come over and give them a makeover. <laughs> A changing room style makeover. Yeah, exactly. It reminded me of reminded me totally of that, as except obviously a much more sinister version. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, exactly. Who was he working for? We we never know. No, Very interesting sort of motivation that he had. Also, it implies the existence of a creator one. Sure. That's the thing. I mean, were they trying to say that he was God? Maybe. You know, creator is a term that is used to describe God. It's an interesting one. So, does Uh, God want those worlds destroyed to make a new one? Hmm. Interesting. Will will creator two ever return? Probably not. But I love just the fact that Doctor Fate was just so merciless and just blew up his spaceship. Yeah. Tremendous. Yeah. There you go. The interesting thing that we should say about the story, of course, is that no point apart from Green Lantern meeting Red Tornado, this is the first JLA JSA crossover. Mm-hmm. That isn't really a team up. They don't meet at all. Yeah, it's an interesting spin. Mm-hmm. I liked how the action was, you know, was more or less divvied up equally between them. But it's a, it's still a wee bit yeah disappointing yeah. that we don't really all see them interact together. Yeah, but I suppose the na- the nature of the story means it probably couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, it feels like a waste of these twenty one days that apparently we have this yeah. window that we established last yeah. episode that uh, you know you can actually have the the two Earths sort of crossover. Yeah, that was a bit annoying. The other thing I wanted to talk about briefly was just we saw the parallel versions of Green Lantern and Hawkman being struck this time, which is quite effective. Mm-hmm. But given that Ray Palmer, the Earth One Atom, had quite a lot to do, we didn't really see anything at all of his own yeah. counterpart, uh-huh. which is interesting, given what we were saying when we were talking about part one, how Batman was affected in tandem with Doctor Midnight. Yeah. It obviously shows that there had to be some proper connection and maybe the two atoms were too different. Yep, could be. It would have been nice to have seen Al Pratt being involved, yeah. having a bit of fighting, and then at the crucial moment as they're trying to work out in Earth One what's going on, mm-hmm. Ray Palmer collapses and it's just left to Green Arrow and Black Canary yeah. and Hal Jordan to figure out. That might have been a bit more drama. Yep, might definitely. take another page. I don't know. I mean, one thing we have talked about in the past with some of the stories is how uneven the, the pacing has been at points. Mm-hmm. Like... We did that Batman and Wildcat story a few weeks ago when it seemed like there was massive narrative yeah. leaps between certain panels, but this one felt really well structured, mm-hmm. quite balanced at points. So definitely, I think part two was very, very satisfying. Before we jump onto the letters, I think I've got one more point I want to raise. It's the final panel. I find it hilarious that Green Arrow delivers the eulogy for the Spectre, considering he's never met him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's excellent. You know, the, he's too strong, too noble to die. We'll hear from him again. Because of that time I heard about you guys fight, yes. fighting on his body. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. 
Just because he's Denny O'Neill's favourite character to write. Yes, <laughs> just it's, it's that is that, No, you're right. That's that's ridiculous when you point it out. Maybe when we write our DC comic, make it through the Spectre Green Arrow team up. <laughs> also featuring the Flash, Barry Allen, because they're really good pals as well. <laughs> of course. Maybe the Spectre talks them into growing a goatee. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only nice thing Green Arrow says in the whole uh, <laughs> comic. Yeah, he's quite yeah. narky the rest yeah, of the is. Yeah, he just wants to do that hard travelling. He, he's, he's like, I don't want to do this cosmic stuff. Just you know, get in the road. Maybe the Spectre becomes aware of Green Arrow's positive sentiment, and that's why the Crispus Allen Spectre is a goatee many years in the future. I don't know. There we are. Who can say? <laughs> who can it's, say? Um, I'll tell you who can say. The readers can say. Let's find out by jumping into the letters pages. The letters pages in issue 87 this time, listeners. So, Gav's drawn the short straw. First letter goes like this. Dear Editor, Every time the two Earth's temporal matrices come together briefly... All too briefly, sigh. My temporal matrices fairly burst asunder as I contemplate the awesome events which occur. Fortunately for me, my corporeal form survived the impact of the explosive Justice League Society saga in issues 82 and 83, while your poor spectres did not, apparently. Dear Denny O'Neill, it was just super of you to have spectres summoned forth from the crypt, so that's where he's been incarcerated since the magazine folded to save the worlds we love and derive our livings from by separating the planes of existence by his own ectoplasm and thank you for that final cryptic remark of Green Arrow to the effect that somewhere, somehow, the ghostly guardian lives. And was it you speaking, dear writer, through Green Arrow's lips? We'll hear from him again, counting it. We must think so in light of the rest assured on page 15 of number 83. If that fearsome story of Spec's entombment could not be related now, that's surely a promise that will be related in the future. Mark Wade gets a hold of it. <laughs> also, we must think of it in light of the adventure of the JLA-JSA of issue 47, when the heroes of the Twin Earths collided with Antimatter Man, and it was, guess which ghost, who kept the two dimensions apart with his own ectoplasm, and again, there was a great explosion in which you know who was actually blown apart. So issue 83 was not the first time for us to view the unimaginable sight of the atomization of the Astral Avenger. Thanks for the major roles in 82 and 83 of the beauteous Black Canary, the majestic Doctor Fate, and the more self-assured and heroic Green Lantern. Also, thanks for getting the Superman and Bat Guys zonked out at the start so that somebody else could make the world safe from aliens. And finally, thanks for a truly mind-expanding cover on 83, my space-time matrices may never recover from this epic unless you speedily bring him all back alive to mend my cosmic fabric once again with your good vibrations. A.W. Peters, Rockville, M.D. We're not going to do all the letters, Reasons of Space and Time. The next one, which I'm going to give you, goes like this. Dear Editor, Denny O'Neill has the ability to give us believable, uncampy dialogue. Denny O'Neill has the ability to give us strong unstereotype characterizations. Denny O'Neill has the ability to give us marvelously original plots and it's for demonstrating those abilities in Justice League 83. Well, let's just say that one out of three is not exactly too fantastic as an average more <laughs> As a matter of fact, you might well have been very wise indeed in not giving writer O'Neill and artist Dick Dillon and Joe Ellett any writer-artist credits within the story. Oh no, wait a minute, you might have. On page three, there is a reference to a wrecking crew. <sighs> oh... Because that's essentially what JLA 83 was, a wrecking of potentially beautiful ideas. The basic idea in the plot, a common denominator between the parallel Earths being about to cause each other's destruction, and the very original basic idea behind the story, 
a JLA-JSA team-up in which the JLA never actually meet the JSA, were both excellent in JLA-82. By the second issues, where Valor fails, these ideas were wearing thin. O'Neill had no new angles to introduce in 83, so he had to settle for a rehashing of the whatever happens to JSAs happens to the JLA bit, and another ghost meeting. But the ghost meeting was cool. O'Neill's whole effort was to give the JSA members personalities, for the JSA was conceived in the golden age of give us plots, not characterisation. It's a great idea. But if O'Neill's idea of characterisation is to stick us with hideous dialogue like anybody that can KO old soups ain't gonna have any trouble the rest of us, or here I am, so what's doing? You want something? We open brackets here. I get sick every time I think about the dialogue O'Neill gave the Thunderbolt. Wow! I thought he was great. I love the fact that he used the Thunderbolt so well. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Even some of the less important bits of dialogue were equally horrendous. How can you expect us to sit here and not flinch when you throw such gems at us as O oh, Grand Shaper of Habitats or O oh, Deft Sculptor of the Universes? Huh? I think he's missing the point about the characterisation there, isn't he? <laughs> Another thing that annoyed me no end was the slipshod manner in which you handled the spectre. Of course you can't reveal the reason the spectre was residing in that mausoleum, because there is no reason. Some of the Batman Spectre team-ups in Brave and the Bold have indicated that the Spectre's adventures in his own mag have taken place in Earth-1. Yet there is only one Spectre who, according to previous issues of JLA, is a member of the Justice Society and operating on Earth-2. It appears to me that O'Neill got us fed up with the Earth discrepancy in Spectre as I did and decided to cop out altogether by killing him off. Open brackets. However slickly it was done. This part's in inverted commas because he's quoting Green Arrow. I can't help feeling somewhere. The ghostly guardian lives. Close inverted commas. Oh, rubbish, says the correspondent. You just want to bring him back again when you're stuck with a surprise ending. I can see it now. Spectre returns with the Catwoman. And they both get killed. Again. And again. And again. And again. And that very snarky letter is from Martin Pascoe. Clifton, New Jersey. Future comic writer Martin Pascoe. Now I'm going to try and find some Martin Pascoe comics and (laughs) examine what his dialogue was like. I wonder if he ever worked with Denny O'Neill. And the next letter says, Dear Editor, where Valor fails, will Magic Triumph was an astounding conclusion to Peril of the Paired Planets. I said astounding because the artwork was marvellous. The elimination of the heroes one by one was magnificent. And it featured the first letter I ever had printed in a comic magazine and I thank you very much. However, the main reason I am writing this letter is to discuss the death of the Spectre. I do not consider myself an expert on the Spectre, as I only have the last three issues of his now defunct magazine. But, in that time, he'd established himself as one of my favourites. In Fact File number 8, which appeared in various DC magazines, it was explained that the Spectre was a ghost whose work on Earth was not yet finished. I have a theory that when the Spectre prevented the two Earths from colliding, he atoned for his past sins, as Spectre himself said, and instead of dying, his spirit was allowed to be at rest. However, if a case in the future required the Spectre, such as the destruction of the entire universe, the Spectre would be obliged to fight the menace. Thus, Dinaro's prediction would be fulfilled, and once again, the Justice League of America would meet the Justice Society of America, augmented with the The Spectre. Even if you do not use this story idea for Crisis on Infinite Earths, I would like to see the Spectre return someday. And I hope that many fans feel the same way and apply pressure so that once again the Spectre will grace the pages of a DC magazine. And that, with one line inserted by me, was from Carl Liebold from Cleveland, Ohio. Editorial response says, It's dead certain the Spectre will be making another of his amazing comebacks, some issue or other. J.S. Yeah, I mean, as the crow flies, we're a couple of years away from the Adventure Comics series. We're a yeah, couple of years away yeah. from Pop Number Brave and Bold. Spoilers. 
But Pete and I, when we get to those stories, we will bear the conclusion of issue 83 in oh, mind. Oh, don't you worry. Very, yes. we, we will, very much so. So the final letter we're going to do from, from this issue goes like so. Dear Editor, Knights, two lone figures are burning the midnight oil at 909 3rd Avenue. To their wives, it's just working late, but to them, it's an editorial conference. One lamp illuminates a half-finished cover, the banner of the Justice League of America, and two heroes, Superman and Batman, waiting for the cover to be built around them. Well, truthfully, says the strange bald man called editor. I like it, Denny. I mean, it's got everything. You've fouled up a potentially good plot with mounds of scientific double talk, throwing in every superhero this side of the shadow, and you even have a perfectly marvellous gimmick, that old voodoo slant that went out in the 50s. And need I remark as to the dialogue? Oh, deft sculptor of universes. I nearly fell off my chair when I read that one. Beautifully inane. O'Neill smiles proudly. The editor rambles on. But really, Denny, I can't help feeling there's something missing. O'Neill reacts. A flurry of inspiration. Drama! The editor reacts. Drama? Drama? And drama in your stories always means death! A sigh. Now, says the editor slowly. Who shall we kill? O'Neill coughs. <clears throat> Green Arrow? Not until his stint at Green Lantern is over. The Flash? His sales are too good. Black Canary? Then who do we get to replace Wonder Woman? From two bone-dry lips, O'Neill whispers. The Spectre? Silence. Wonderful, says the editor in awe. We can clear up that mess about the book, find a way to wrap up the story, and we might even get a dramatic panel or two to put. After all, his mag's folded. Who cares what happens to him now? Get to work, boy. Don't forget to have Green Arrow deliver the closing speech. Uh, something flowery, you know, to make it seem like G.A.'s the only thinker in the group. Get cracking, man! And the rest is history. So is World War Two. And that's from future comic writer Alan Brennert. Fantastic. Here in New Jersey. Well done, Alan. <laughs> Round of applause for <laughs> that. That was very, superb. Very superb, sir. Mm. Interesting that people had a lot to say about the Spectre. Yeah. It suggests there's still a bit of popularity mm. and he's still... Well regarded by certain folk, but you know they're not obviously weren't buying his comic in sufficient numbers. Nope, that happens every time he gets a new comic, yeah. <laughs> which has been about twenty times. I, now, I think it seems interesting. Yeah, because we haven't really seen much of him since his. Fact, I don't think we've seen him at all since his own book finished. It's been nice to have him nope, back this, a, this week. Mm -hmm. And yes, as we've all hinted at, that won't be the the last time that we see the Spectre. So, are you looking forward to seeing the Spectre again? Have you enjoyed this episode? Did you enjoy that letter from Alan Brennert? <laughs> Please get in touch and let us know. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up some lovely bonus content for this and indeed every episode. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. Yep, if you're feeling generous, you can go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and leave us a glowing, happy review. If you're feeling especially generous, you can go to our coffee page buy pizza the price of a beverage. That would be very much appreciated. Indeed. Now that I'm drinking them while I edit in the mornings in Costa. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear the thing about um, apparently Starbucks are going cashless? Fine. That's going to backfire, I think, in some cases. No, anyway, other coffee <laughs> conveyors are available. And on that note, I've been Peter. I've been Gavin. Gavin, thank you for joining us. Please do come back again <laughs> soon. Yes, that was spectacular. And I've been David. We'll see you again very soon on... The Earth, Earth 2 Podcast! Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. We're not going to batter about... What's, how do you call it? Beat around the bush? <clears throat> we're not going to beat about... We're not going to be trying... Say, we're not going to try and say anything clever. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Fate is there. Our man is there. Starman is there. And Johnny Midnight. Johnny Midnight? <laughs> Johnny Midnight. Coming <laughs> soon from Big Finish Productions. <laughs>